That's in the Bible, episode 35 is The Gap, a Theory. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, how is that stay? Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric and uh, we've got the classic edition of the show today featuring Steve and Matt and myself. Pastor Strobel is... Where is Pastor Strobel? Oh no. Am I a... In absentia. He's missing in action. He's, uh, well, we He's could... probably got something to do. Probably something more important at the moment than than what we're. Well, we know he's back from Pensacola, right? Yes, I was with him last night in Attica, and that was uh, our good friend Steve out there in beautiful, sunny Western New York. Amen. You were with him where? I was at Attica Prison with him last night. Uh, uh, we have a Bible study with uh, uh, believing Baptist Baptist uh, Bible study is what it's called there. And uh, we go out there first and third Mondays, and then whenever there's a fifth Monday, we make it out there as well. So you guys were just visiting again, as uh, we had talked about before, but it sounds like a good ministry that you guys are... Oh, yeah, we've been doing this for a number of years, and uh, I've got a good group of guys out there that we that we minister to, and and uh, it's probably close to two and a half, three hours of, of Bible study, and... and uh, we take turns with different things. I mean, one guy just doesn't doesn't do the whole Bible study. I mean, mm-hmm. last night I did something on Baptist distinctive, still didn't get through it, and then I stopped uh, uh, for a period of time. And then Pastor Strobel did something as well. So um, we sing a little bit and uh, have fellowship with those guys, and uh, they uh, they give up some. I guess you call it exercise time for. Mm-hmm. Or the opportunity to come to that uh, classroom setting and and uh, have a Bible study with us. So that really is a captive audience. It is. It is. Once they get in the room, they cannot leave, nor can we. Uh, <laughs> so you got to be, be we're careful deep what you into preach. the bowels of Attica Prison. <laughs> now, do you do you have to uh, be careful? Do you have any guards in there, just in case? Well, there's there's some guards there, but you know. I gave a testimony down in Pensacola, which we'll probably talk about here in just a few minutes, but I gave a testimony there in Pensacola in reference to the guys in the Bible study that we have in Attica Prison. I said, you know, I feel so comfortable with the guys that we're with. I can't say that for everybody in Attica Prison, obviously, but the guys that we teach in Attica, I'm so comfortable I could have a table full of knives and guns and I can turn my back on those guys, and I wouldn't worry one iota wow. uh, with with those fellows. Those guys are saved, they're born again. Uh, they are, in in many respects, glad that what happened to them happened to them because a uh, few of them uh, trusted the Lord as their Savior there because of their condition and what happened to them. Uh, the first time we went in there uh, to Attica, uh, those of us that went in to minister, we gave, <laughs> excuse me, gave a short testimony of who we were, how we got saved, and and what God's been doing with us. 
And then we gave opportunity for those guys that were uh, uh, in the Bible study from Attica to give a, a testimony. And, and as I describe it, <clears throat> it sounded like an AA meeting for murderers. Hmm. It says, uh, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm in here for murder, and this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm in here for murder. <laughs> wow. And they went on right on down the line. And uh, it, was, uh, it was an interesting meeting. And as time has gone on, and we've gotten to know these guys, uh, I feel perfectly comfortable. I have no anxiety or, or angst going in there at all. So it's, it's good, and I really enjoy it and look forward to going in there. Amen. Amen. So that was Steve, and uh, also joining us is, is Matt this evening. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing real good, real good. We uh, <clears throat> had a good time. I went to uh, visit Steve and his family uh, over in, uh, in uh, where do you guys live? West Seneca, Steve? West Seneca, yeah. yeah What's the address again, Steve? Uh, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> send, uh, send everything, uh, hate mail and you know, friend, <laughs> brother Steve at, uh, I can handle it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we had a good time. It was his uh, son's 30th birthday. So it's, I always love going over there because it's like every time I go over there, we always have a group of people over and they have a group of people over anyway. I don't, but, and, uh, get around and sing and sing hymns and it's just a good time. You know, it's, uh, I was telling, uh, Jennifer, which is, uh, brother Steve's, uh, daughter that, that it's just uh, such a blessing to go over there because, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the center of that house. And uh, when everybody comes over, they know it, you know. So it was a good time. Amen. Had a pretty good crew in there singing this time. Yeah. And it was nice because the, the windows were open and all the neighbors could hear. And uh, no complaints, by the way. No complaints. Good. Do you usually so, get complaints or no? No, no, no. I'm just I, I'm saying our, our neighbors. I think I mentioned that there when we were starting to sing that. You know that that our neighbors have been uh, very gracious, and they haven't uh, complained at all. I'm sure they've heard us a number of times. So, yeah. So, uh, but we just sing the old hymns and and uh, break up into parts, and whoever can sing a part, and if they can't sing, they just make a joyful noise. And amen, that's me. And, uh, <laughs> you and a few others. <laughs> I think it helps though that you, your family can sing. It'd be yeah, one uh, thing if it was caterwauling coming through those windows, you know what I mean? But since you guys can really sing, I think that, that makes a difference, too. One of, the, one of the things that was an added blessing uh, for that uh, particular uh, time that we had here this weekend is uh, my son's um, uh, mother-in-law was able to make it, and uh, uh, she really enjoyed being there and, and uh, the singing and... and um, let us know that if we do it again, she'd like to have a return invitation. So we told her it's always open. So, yeah. Amen. So, Steve, you want to tell us a little bit about your uh, your trip down to Pensacola? Well, yeah. Uh, Brother Strobel and I made the trip, although it was at different times. Uh, we eventually got there uh, for the graduation of our our two sons, uh, Jason, who has been on the podcast uh, some time ago. And uh, uh, Doug, uh, Brother Strobel's uh, son, we're in a class. I, I thought it was about 26. Brother Strobel says it's, it's closer to 30 or better. Uh, uh, men, uh, young men. Um, and there were two ladies that, that received a certificate of completion, which means that they had to take the, uh, <clears throat> the three years of Greek and a year of Hebrew. And... Uh, 
but they didn't obviously didn't get a chance or didn't take the uh, preaching courses and so forth. And um, Friday night they had uh, uh, this, the graduation ceremony where they received their diplomas and their bachelor of divinity degrees. And they gave uh, five, ten minutes of, of testimony uh, for, uh, you know, each graduate. And then Saturday morning, uh, 10 o'clock, they had a service for the uh, alumni, if you will, to come back and uh, kind of give maybe some experiences, uh, updates, and so forth. Brother Strobel started that service off, and then uh, a little bit later I had the opportunity to say a few things. And then sun, or Saturday night, they have a service where the graduates get a chance to preach. And uh, <clears throat> Brother Strobel's son, Doug, had a chance to preach, and Jason had a chance to preach. They all did a, a good job. They have some really good preachers there in their class. Their cl class is really tight, and uh, they all love each other and, and really have done a lot of things together. They're, they uh, just throughout the years... Uh, their prayer meetings and uh, the, the, their impromptu sing-alongs like what we would do at our house and um, just the, the joy and the camaraderie that they have is just uh, uh, pretty good, really good, in fact. Um, Sunday morning, Dr. Ruckman uh, did his Sunday school class in First John and then preached. And then Sunday night, uh, he did his, uh, I guess you could call it a slide presentation, of him reading, uh, the, you know, the Revelation uh, Apocalypse uh, book that he put together of, uh, I think he said, what, 200 and some odd watercolor, watercolor paintings that he did kind of depicting the book of Revelation. And then also puts, uh, puts um, um, classical music to it with a uh, whole... Uh, um, Dvorak, uh, um, Men uh, not Mendelssohn, but um, oh, others. Uh, I can't even think of all of them right now. Uh, uh, Wagner and and uh, uh, others. You know, classical music, and um, just really makes it intense. It's it's probably about two and a half, almost three hours long. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's it's. Uh, it's it's pretty wild. And, and you said that's uh, different than what he has up on his website? Um, what he told us down there is that he added some pictures, so uh, some close-ups of isolation pictures of some of the things okay. that he'd already painted. So if he has a broad scene and uh, something on the right-hand side of the page, he might take a close-up of that and then add it to it. Um, so... That's what I mean by maybe adding some some uh, mm -hmm. uh, some to the original book that he had. And I'll put a link up for the um, you know the Dr. Ruckman's webpage so you can. I would imagine that one that he has on the on the website is probably the updated version of that. I, I would imagine. It's but, pretty uh, good. It's well worth it. You know. Oh yeah. And, you know, the, the neat thing about it, too, is, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of his in-school, in-classroom teaching that he does there at the Institute um, that I have on my hard drive. And uh, he, especially in the book of Revelation, he talks about how he, uh, this is back in 79 or 78 or somewhere around there when he was uh, teaching those classes and he recorded them. 
and uh, he's talking about I've got about you know what he said about 60 70 you know pictures paintings done right now you know and and uh, he talked about it he said well <clears throat> you know if I ever had time and and uh, the money and the know-how I'll I'll get uh, together and put some classical music to it and He's like, you know, these people always want something new in the movie theaters, and he's like, just imagine, you know, a revelation to uh, to some classical music like that, and and uh, that'll really get them something new and something scary and horrifying to look at, you know. So yeah. it's it's neat now to see that he actually completed it and uh, and you know put it together. Right. Well, it's been together for quite a while. Uh, I, you know, I think it was. I don't remember what year it was, but I remember some of my friends going down and and uh listening to it when they did it first and it, it really you know the guys really got excited about it yeah i mean if you if if you know anything about classical music you know mazursky has a has a, a piece called night on bald mountain and it's that's always the scene when uh, when the devil shows up and stuff <laughs> and, and uh it's uh it's pretty intense so yeah it's good stuff we'll have a link to it on the on the website as as well as uh at least one picture of Steve and his son and some other folks there at the uh, institute. Amen. Amen, amen. How about you? We had, Matt? A, we had a great time, so I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to chime no, in there, but we just had a great time. Yeah, it's I and I've only been there once and that was with Matt when we went down for the blowout. But yeah, that was a great uh, time. That was that was fun. Yeah, if nobody's ever been to uh, Bad Attitude Baptist Blow out there in Pensacola, Florida, you got to go. It's it's something to uh, behold. It's uh, that many hundreds of of Christians packed into a a church and just singing hymns and hearing some good preaching, and it's just a good time. Good time. Yeah. Well, they have the two of those blowouts. They have one in September and one in February. So yeah, go on the website. You can get some uh, information on that, and if you get a chance to go, it's well worth it. And what what is it that sometimes folks are just a little bit put off by the that title? Well, the bad attitude Baptist blowout. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, Doctor Ruckman is known for what some people consider his negativity, and he believes in the power of negative thinking, um, and that's manifest in a lot of different ways. But just if you think about it, take a look at the Ten Commandments and tell me how many of them are negative. <laughs> where it says thou shalt not right you know you take a look at the gospel uh the death the burial and the resurrection mm-hmm. three three two-thirds of that of the gospel is negative mm-hmm. yeah so you know it, it's just kind of a play on words and taking you know the absurdity of the charge and making an absurdity out of it uh you know um but then again, you can also take it in this regard. I think Brother Estep, when he came up, when they first started these things up in Rochester, New York, at First Bible Baptist Church, uh, Pastor Modlish was the, the pastor there at the time, and Greg Estep came up and says, you know, i got a bad attitude. i got a bad attitude about sin. i got a bad attitude about the devil. i got a bad, you know, and, and those things you should. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have a bad attitude, uh, go to go to Proverbs chapter 6. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Mm-hmm. And he goes through a list of seven things. Uh, I thought you know, God was love. Attitude. <laughs> Wasn't God love? 
Uh, well, he is, but he's a balanced being. If he loves, he also hates. But and that's the uh, the the balance that you don't usually hear. It's always the we can't hate. Uh, you can't. God doesn't hate. God loves everybody and everyone. So it's 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 good to have that balance. Yeah. Brother Matt and I got a little bit of that ba- or, or that lopsided uh, view of Christianity on Saturday. We uh, uh, before the uh, birthday party and so forth. Uh, my youngest son Dave and and Matt and Jennifer and I went out on a street corner in our area and close to a, a mall, a large mall, and uh, went on the street corner and we and we preached and uh, you know of course you get. Uh, the whole gambit of responses. I'm sure Matt's probably received. It's been a while since I've done that, and it was good to get back on the corner. But uh, you know, I had people turning up their stereo so that they could drown us out, so they didn't have to listen to us. Uh, had some people shaking their fist and hollering at us of of things I I don't know that I could understand because they were yelling without distinction. Uh, some unkind gestures were were lifted our way. Uh, had people that were shaking their heads, you know, saying you're doing it the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> I even had a car full of people that, that uh, they said, oh, man, great job, man, we like what you're doing. <laughs> you know? I said, thank you. <laughs> so uh, I think Matt had some, what, somebody, somebody said something to you out in the car. What yeah, was there it? was actually, while you were preaching, there was a kid. Um, that that said, oh, why do I need to be saved? You know, what what is Jesus Christ going to do for me or whatever? And I said, well, Jesus Christ has died for you on that cross, and he and he rose again, uh, and can save you from hell. You know, and and he was kind of when he first said it, he was just kind of messing around. You know, looked at his friend that was driving, and you know, kind of laughed and shook his head and stuff. And and then when I started kind of preaching to him a little bit and telling him, listen, you need to have Jesus Christ as your savior now because you're going to die with your sins and you're going to go straight to hell. And uh, and he started listening after that, and uh, and he he was really listening. And actually, what happened was that you know we're at the street corner there, and and the light went green, and people are beeping at him, and they're not moving, <laughs> you know. So I I had to be the one that said, all right, man, I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll see you later, you know, but pray about it, you know, you need to you need to accept Jesus Christ as your savior now. And he's like, thanks a lot, man, thanks a lot, and they just drove away. They both waved to me goodbye. It was it was a blessing because at first they were mocking, and then at the end they were they were looked like they were pretty scared, you know. So. Amen. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good time, and then uh, Friday, bef- you know, the the day before that, uh, brother Mark McLaughlin and and I went and uh, here in Syracuse, we had the taste of Syracuse here on Friday and Saturday, and and went out on Friday, got our uh, 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 sandwich signs on, and we just started walking around the taste of Syracuse, and I mean thousands of people go here, you know, they have uh, a bunch of blocks blocked off there that no cars can get there, and just people. What it is, is I think you, Brother Steve, have it there, a taste of buffalo. Yes, taste of buffalo, yeah. What they do is they just have, you know, a lot of the main uh, food places and and things like that. They bring out their goods just so people can taste them. And uh, and it gives them a lot of publicity and things like that. And and, uh, the the only bad thing is now they have a lot of music on each corner, uh, really loud bands and things like that. So we didn't get a whole lot of street preaching done, but we got into into the thick of things and and uh, just tried to hand out gospel tracts, and, and I had uh, on the front of my sign, it said, uh, ask me why you deserve to go to hell, and uh, <laughs> that, uh, that got a whole lot of good response. <laughs> and uh, listen, I mean, you know, a lot of people, even a lot of Christians came up to me and said, I, I resent that sign, you know, you, what about the love, which we were just talking about, and things like that, right. but, you know, the society that we live in today, they don't even think twice about hell. They don't even think twice about that they deserve hell. 
I mean, you need something to shock them and wake them up in this, you know, just a society where they, they're just, when I looked at these people, you know, I, um, you know, especially at the football games, I guess I don't notice it as much, but in this thing, people, when they walk by and I try and hand them a gospel track, a lot of times they're just looking straight ahead and they look like zombies. They look like mm. they're just walking the walk in the world and trying to get through the day after day after day. And really, I mean, that's the first time I really noticed it. I mean, just masses amounts of people there, and they're just without hope and without God in this world, and it's it's yeah. sad. And, and maybe to our discredit, there these days it's a rare sight to see a Christian, you know, doing anything, uh, even passing out tracks or holding up a sign, you know, proclaiming the the word and and yeah. Jesus Christ and or, or street preaching. I mean, that's. That's so rare. I think a lot of people have not encountered it. So when they do, it's like, oh, what's this? These people are nuts. And I think we'll do a show, too, about um, witnessing and street preaching and things like that. Because I think a lot of people say, well, you know, that's not in the Bible and things like that. Yeah, that doesn't work. That just turns people off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? But everything turns people off. Yeah. (laughs) You know? um, if, you, if you start, if you start catering to every person, you'll never do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be people that are going to dislike what you do. I mean, there are there are guys out there that if you don't street preach, they hate you. Mm-hmm. Which, if people don't want to do it, okay, that's fine. You don't have to do it. I'm not. I'm not here to tell you that you have to. Right. Uh, but you know, <laughs> you know, there are those guys that that think people that don't are ungodly and and rail on them they're people that think that you sh- that you shouldn't and they rail on those that do and i mean if if you cater to any of that you're just you're just going to be spinning in the wind you'll never get anything accomplished so i i think the the verse that kind of capsulizes that would be let every man do that which is right or not every man did that which is right in his own eyes that's not what i'm talking about talking about um, to his own master he standeth or falleth in in Romans chapter 14. Mm -hmm. That's the one I wanted to get across. And, uh, you know, if you just do what what you believe the Lord wants you to do when, uh, as the saying goes, to blazes with everybody else, I mean, just do what God wants you to do and and just put everything else off on the side and and, uh, try to please him instead of everybody else. Yeah, because if you try to please everyone else, you won't be doing anything. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I um, at my work, I happened to be in a car this week with two other two other folks, um, and it, the discussion came up. They were talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and how how this both of them said that you know, they don't like it that the fact that they go out and knock on doors. Hmm. <clears throat> and so, <laughs> after a couple of seconds, I said, "Well, I knock on doors." <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming, <laughs> and they're like, uh, "Oh yeah, well, why? Why do you do that?" You know, I said, "Okay, well, you asked." <laughs> so uh, you know, and 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 I think it's again the way you do it. We we knock on the door, we introduce ourselves, you know, say who we are, what church we're from, and have a short discussion. Are you going to church anywhere now? And we'd like to invite you out. And but more, most importantly. We ask him, you know, if you were to die today, would you consider yourself to be like twenty uh, percent sure, seventy-five percent sure, eighty percent sure that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? And the, as soon as I said that, the, uh, the other coworker in the driver's seat turns to me and says, 
I would find that question very offensive. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kept going. Well, you know, why would you find that question offensive? It's a question. Yeah. You know? They're insecure about what they believe and they can't stand a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, any outreach minister, I mentioned this on Sunday, Matt would probably bear record to it. All we're doing is offering an alternative. We're not putting a gun to anybody's head. We're not putting a knife to anybody's back to make them do anything. All we're doing is offering an alternative. If they choose to receive it, fine. If they choose to reject it, that's their decision. Uh, You know, there are some in... I won't even say our camp, but those of uh, that that are street preachers and door knockers and all that kind of stuff that, in my opinion, do it wrong, and they can answer to God for what they do, and I'll answer to God for what I do. But you know, they're probably a bit more forceful than I am. But I believe that we're basically supposed to provide an alternative. I don't ever see where Jesus Christ, other than the Pharisees. When he, he did some, some name-calling to them, where Jesus Christ handled the average person on the street uh, that same way. I don't see where he does that. I see that he offers them an, alter, uh, uh, an alternative, and uh, they have the right to choose it or reject it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what our commission is. Yeah. And now we are to go out there and compel them. You know, it's not like, you know, just this wimpy, mamby-pamby type of thing. I think we should go out there and, and be authoritative, be, I'll say, forceful, only because they can't hear if, you, if you're not forceful. I mean, you know, some people look at us uh, in, in doing that. I'm not t- speaking so much of door-to-door, but I'm speaking, uh, you know, when you're street preaching, when you're raising your voice, as the Bible says, like a trumpet, that... You know, they want they're yelling at us, and oh my, you know. <laughs> well, if I didn't yell, you wouldn't hear. So the only reason for the loud, uh, loudness of my voice is, is so that you can hear what's being said. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with my demeanor towards you as an individual. If you want to come and talk to me on the side of the street, I'll be glad to tone it down and just talk to you in a, more, uh, in a normal, calm tone and just present to you an alternative that... You know, uh, you may be trusting in a religion, and I believe that from the Bible that you need to trust in a person. And if you choose to receive it, fine. If you choose not to, fine. Yeah. And as uh, Pastor Matt, my pastor here, uh, always says, there's uh, plenty of people in hell that are just uh, begging for uh, street preachers and uh, door knockers. Um, and he gives the example, you know, of the rich man. Yep, absolutely. That, uh, I was just thinking that. That, um, let's see, where is it? Luke 16. 16, 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, uh, Father, that that would, uh, that thou, I pray, then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, uh, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he's saying, you know, send someone, I, I, since I can't go, send someone to knock on their doors and, and to tell them. Tell them that there's a hell, and you know. So, unfortunately, if you wait till then, it's too late to to tell anyone. Yep, that's it. And and I think of the verse that you know we're ambassadors for Christ in Second Corinthians five twenty. 
mm-hmm. now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. You know, that's our commission. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. In that same context, it calls us the ministers of reconciliation. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling, uh, I describe it this way, taking the hand uh, of a a lost sinner and putting it in the hand of Jesus Christ, which can save him. In turn, Jesus Christ takes the hand of that sinner that has been redeemed and introduces him to the Father. That's the ministry of reconciliation. So... I mean, to not do that is not doing what we're supposed to be doing here. Right. So Absolutely. Anyway, I guess we got off on that a little bit long, didn't we? But <laughs> I think it's good, though. I think it was good. Amen. <clears throat> so we do have a short, short uh, quote of the day. And just as short as that music is the... Uh, Here's the quote of the day. It's actually a, a short news article, and I don't know if many people have heard about this. Uh, I recently only have heard about this, but there's a protest against the plan to build a mosque at Ground Zero. This is from the Associated Press, New York. A plan to build a mosque and cultural center near Ground Zero in New York City is drawing fire from families and friends of those who died in the 9-11 attacks. Pamela Geller, executive director of Stop Islamization of America, organized a protest Sunday against the proposal, calling it an insult and demeaning to non-Muslims to build a shrine dedicated to the very ideology that inspired 9-11. She says the mosques should be built somewhere else. Rosemary Kane, whose firefighter's son died on 9-11, says a mosque at Ground Zero is insensitive. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Yeah. The, the plan was o- approved overwhelmingly by a New York City community board last month. And then this from, from Newsweek. <clears throat> Plans for the construction of a mosque just two blocks from Ground Zero are prompting outrage in the blogosphere, but the emotional reaction appears to be falling on deaf ears, meaning that people don't care. The Cordoba House Project, according to CNN, calls for a 15-story community center that would include a performance arts center, gym, swimming pool, and a mosque. So far, there seems little indication the city will do anything to appease those who oppose it. The time for a center like this has come because Islam is an American religion. Daisy Khan, executive director of the American Society for Muslim Advancement, told CNN. We need to take the 9-11 tragedy and turn it into something very positive. According to the New York Daily News, Imam Faisal Abdul Rauf, who helped found the Cordoba Initiative following the 9-11 attacks, said the project is intended to foster better relations between the West and Muslims. But if conservative commentators are any, any indication of the reaction, the mosque is opening, not healing old wounds. So anyway, it goes on. Uh, a little bit longer, but that's the plan to build a mosque there at the uh, near ground zero. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it, uh, like the 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 one lady that's opposed to it said, it, it, and I'll use my own terms. It's a slap in the face yeah. uh, to Americans for that. Um, I do not, you know, I want people to understand. I do not deny uh, the Muslims the right to put a mosque uh, someplace. Uh, that is what our country was founded on, that, that freedom of religion. Uh, but to put it in that particular place is creating martyrs out of the ones 
who died there by driving or flying those planes into those two buildings. And it will forever be a rallying point for the Muslim cause against the evil empire of, of America and, of course, uh, Judaism. So, you know, to put that there, uh, they make it sound so sweet and so simple and tug on the heartstrings and, and declare it being a positive thing. Uh, it would be anything but. They, they're only doing it so that they can uh, you know, create a, a, a lever to drive a wedge even further into the 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 American uh, ideology for what this country was was initially set up for. Um, my, uh, I'll I'll say this and then I'll just shut up and let you guys talk. But just my observation is that there, the, the Muslims uh, are going about uh, and using our own political electoral system to fight against us because of our of our apathy and lack of involvement in such things as this in other words the voices aren't being heard as as you heard from the article people aren't really caring and the opposition isn't really that strong um, so they're going to use our own system by uh, electing their own officials because they'll eventually become a majority in certain areas and they will uh, devise plans and uh, in, in inaugurate laws and do things and change the, the face and the, the culture of our country from the inside out. They know they can't come over here and, and uh, battle us uh, through military means. I mean, they, they've already seen that we'll... we'll will level them and take them in, in several days. But they can do it through another means, and that's through our political system. Yeah. And if we're not involved, if we don't stand up and object, not to their right and freedom to have their own religion, I'm not saying that, but if we don't make stands in certain areas, they're, they're just going to take it over and, and we'll be lost as a nation and we'll become the minority and we'll be at the mercy of whatever they want to do. And it will not long, be any longer a, a country where you can uh, choose. Uh, it'll be a, a country where they will demand that you convert or else, like I mentioned earlier, a gun to your head or a knife to your back. So uh, they may disagree with me on that. They may call me bigoted and, and intolerant and insensitive. Uh, they can say all they want. You take a look at the history. And you take a look at, at what that uh, system produces and that religion produces, and it's anything but what we have here in this country at the present time. Yeah. And, I mean, that's no exaggeration, uh, Brother Steve, about uh, what it produces, what that religion produces, what that book they have, the Koran produces. Uh, Dad, she said that it's a... We're turning into Islamic nation. Is that what she said? She said the time for a center like this has come because Islam is an American religion. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, is that you know, uh, when you look, we've done a lot of quotes on the founding fathers, and and really a lot of the founders were were Christians. I mean, they mm -hmm. they believed in Jesus Christ, they accepted him as their savior, and they uh, they they kind of founded really this country, this nation on. Christianity and on the Bible, 
and Amen. set up the rules, regulations, um, everything on the Bible. And, I, you know, I just wanted to take a minute here and, and kind of go along with what Brother Steve said about what it produces. Now, what Christianity produces here, just in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Now, that's from the Bible. You know, a lot of people say that all, the, all these wars were, were started by the Bible, holy wars and stuff like that. Now, listen, I'm not against war at all. I mean, when uh, we have to defend our country, we have to defend our freedoms um, or defend, defend others that are, that are being uh, bullied by other countries, we have to stand up and uh, help out. Um, but when these people, these, these, uh, uh, these uh, Muslims are going out and uh, what they call is the jihad, the holy jihad, they, they say they have to go out and they have to kill everybody that's not Muslims or of the Islamic faith. And uh, if you think we're just kidding uh, or just kind of, you know, uh, just saying this, look at Surah chapter 4, verse 89 of the Quran, And it says, those who reject, reject Islam must be killed. If they turn back, take them and kill them wherever you find them. I mean, look at the sharp contrast between what the uh, book of the Quran says to our Bible. And they're saying that our that that Islam is a is a American religion. That's scary. I mean, if we're if uh, we're going to allow and like Brother Steve said, I agree that we should allow uh, you know that uh, religious freedoms here. But we got to be careful um, and we got to watch uh, what they teach because this is seriously uh, going to be a big issue in this country if the Lord doesn't return soon. Uh, Surah chapter forty seven verse four says, "So when you meet." Those who disbelieve smite their necks uh, till when you have killed and wounded many of them, then bind a bond firmly on them and take them as captives. I mean, listen, I mean, I could go on with, with a bunch of verses, but listen, if a Christian sees somebody else that's not of their belief, they go to them like we were just talking about before, and we persuade men to be Christians. I mean, we persuade them to, to be saved and go to heaven, and we love them, and we pray for them to be saved. But we don't go out and we don't kill them and we don't overpower them. And that's exactly what this religion uh, uh, produces. And it's, it's a scary thing that, that it's, it's growing in this country. Amen. Amen. If you're ready, we'll go ahead and, and start. I'm ready. Right All righty. Amen. Well, I appreciate it, guys. This podcast that we're doing tonight, and the title is, Is the Gap Really a Theory? That's the question tonight. Is the gap really a theory? Now, for me, this, uh, this study is really, uh, it's really interesting. I mean, when I looked at it and when I thought about it, I don't know about you, but I love studying the Bible. I love studying things out. If somebody said something in the Bible that it's there, I want to search it out. I want to find out for myself. I mean, the Bible says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. The Bible says, uh, these were no more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Don't take our word for it. We say this all the time. I mean, search out the Bible. But the Bible also says that, um, that, that we have to truly pray to the Lord and ask them if this is the truth. Pray to them and, and, and see if it's true. And a lot of people break fellowship on uh, this subject. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, I mean, I have a, truly a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that don't believe the same things that I do. And, uh, and I guess that comes from uh, being a Baptist. You know, a lot of people say that. But, but uh, I mean, listen, when you truly believe the Bible, uh, you're going to get the truth from God. You're going to get the truth from God. And I'm not saying I'm 100% correct on everything. 
Uh, maybe one day when I go to heaven, God's going to show me, hey, listen, you know, you didn't truly 100% believe the Bible in this area, and you should have. But uh, if you stay with the Bible and with God, you can't go wrong. Amen. But uh, here, like I said before, this this is a big this is a big subject that gets in the heated debates, and it's it's kind of a shame. I mean, you know, Bible study should be fun, and uh, not only that, but uh, we should get closer to God by by searching out the Bible. And uh, now, there's pivotal doctrines that we know, according to uh, Romans chapter sixteen, verse seventeen. That we're supposed to mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. We're supposed to avoid certain doctrines that cause divisions uh, according to this Bible. But now this isn't one of them. I mean, this is not one of those pivotal doctrines. Now, the, uh, the doctrine of uh, eternal security is an important one. The doctrine of uh, um, that you're saved by grace through faith is a huge one. Um, and uh, the doctrine of Jesus Christ is God. Those are huge doctrines. Um, that, that really you have to stick with. Um, but this one is just one of those where you have to study it out for yourself. But uh, the, the other thing a lot of people say too is we shouldn't even go over this kind of a thing. I mean, this is just something that's not that important. But I would disagree with that. You know, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. You have to study to show yourself approved unto God. That, that means every verse of the Bible. You know, Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse sixteen says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." So, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, and that's what we're going over today. We're going over this gap, and whether it's a theory or whether it's a fact. And I hope tonight that I can, uh, can go over a lot of the verses, and maybe maybe you're on the fence about it. Uh, maybe you're even on the other fence of where I'm at, and uh, and may just uh, just pray that you'll uh, search it out and uh, and give me some time going through this. Now, this is actually a subject that's a big part of my Christian life. And you say, well, you know, the gap theory. Why why would that be such a big uh, big part of your life? Well, let me t- let me tell you why. Now, I've been saved for five years. Last month, um, I've been I've been ex- I've accepted Christ as my Savior five years ago. And uh, I just want to stop now and say, if you're not saved, if you don't know 100% for sure before you die that you're going to heaven, that uh, you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, uh, I hope that you'll stop this, uh, this podcast right now. You'll go back to our, uh, our other shows. Uh, if, you're, if you found this on the internet, go to that'sinthebible.com and go on to one of our other, other shows, uh, maybe episode two why good people don't go to heaven, or episode 17, what does it mean to be saved? And uh, that's the first thing you have to get settled, is to make sure that you're not going to hell. You know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You deserve hell because of your sins, but Jesus Christ died and paid that penalty for you. So if you are uh, saved tonight, and uh, you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, uh, let's just keep going here. Now, this is a big part of my life, my Christian life, uh, is because, like I said before, five years I've been saved now, now, for the first three years of those years, uh, I didn't believe this, what I'm going to teach you right now. Uh, and the reason why is because I listened to a lot of other people, and I didn't truly search out the scriptures myself and compare uh, uh, scripture with scripture. And, uh, and so I remember there was one night that my dad and I, uh, this is before we started this podcast, that uh, we met up at a coffee shop with Brother Steve and, and uh, his wife, Mrs. Bear, for coffee. And I'm not really sure how this subject came about, but knowing us, we all had our Bibles out, and uh, we were just looking through the scriptures and talking about the Bible, and and uh, the gap theory came up, and uh, and Brother Steve believed something totally different than what I believed, 
And uh, what I would do is I'd come out and I'd say, well, what about this? You know, what about that? And the amazing thing is that Brother Steve always had a verse to prove me wrong. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but when you truly think you know something and you believe it, and uh, you keep getting shot down by the scriptures, you get kind of, uh, you get kind of uh, I don't know if defensive or what it is, but, but you kind of like, no, this can't be true. But uh, I had to go back home that night, and I had to really pray about it. And it took me six more months to truly search out the scriptures and pray about it. And you know, the one thing, the reason why it's the biggest part, or one of the biggest parts of my Christian life is because it taught me that no matter what I believe, if God's word says something contrary to what I believe, I have to switch to line up with the word of God. I mean, Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says that let God be true, but every man a liar. I mean, we have to believe what God says and not what, not what we think or what we've been taught to believe. So let's start here, the gap theory. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start out here. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now before we get started here, I just want to uh, say a quick prayer, and uh, we'll get back into the study. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you'll help me out tonight, Lord. I pray that you'll uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness, from all sin, Lord. Uh, Lord, because I'm just a sinner saved by grace, Lord, and I thank you for saving my soul. Uh, Lord, I don't deserve heaven, but that's your grace and your mercy, Lord, and I thank you for that. I thank you for my brothers uh, here, uh, Brother Eric, my dad, and also uh, Brother Steve, and I pray for Pastor Strobel, Lord, and, and, and uh, Lord, I just pray for all those other brothers and sisters that are listening tonight, Lord. Uh, that you'll be with them and bless them, Lord, and, and help us, Lord, just to uh, study out the scriptures more and get closer to you and grow in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you again for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we have Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, most people won't have any problem with that unless you're an atheist. Uh, uh, the Bible says right here that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God was here, and then God decided to create the heaven and the earth. Now, there's a couple different beliefs on this. Uh, two of them here, the main two, is that you have right here, that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that God makes the heaven and the earth, but they're kind of in a blank state. He kind of put the materials there for heaven and the earth, but they're not finished yet. So then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, uh, he starts making the rest. You know, he starts putting on the surfaces of of um, of the earth and putting in the the stars and, and all the planets and things like that and and so you know it's a continuous process that God makes so Genesis chapter one is really part of the six day creation um, but then there's also another belief and uh, the other belief is that in Genesis chapter one verse one God created the heaven and the earth and it was perfect that it was all put together it was all there it was exactly how God wanted it. Uh, but then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That something happened, that there was a catastrophe that happened. So there had to be, uh, between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2, a gap of time, a period of time where something happened that a catastrophe came down uh, and destroyed the heaven and the earth. Now, we're going to go through that. But before, before we go through that, um, I just want to go to two verses real quick. Turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 63. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. But look at this. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, 
and they are life. So the words, the words of God, they're spirit. All right, now remember that. The words of God are spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. Actually, we'll start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which uh, the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now we know those spiritual things are the words of God, because we just saw that his words are spirit. So what we have to do is we have to compare spiritual things with spiritual. We have to compare God's words with his own words. I mean, the Bible says that the prophecy of, is of no private interpretation. The prophecy right here in this Bible, uh, God is the author of this Bible. God's the author of prophecy. And, uh, and we get the definitions of these words by comparing the similar words in the Bible. So that's what we're going to do. Now, again, is there a gap in the Bible? Uh, especially here in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Now I want you to look at this. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. But now look in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. And the earth was without form and void. Now a lot of people, again like I said before, would say, well that just means that the earth wasn't finished yet. That it was just kind of blank. Like uh, it would be a building that maybe has the frame, but it doesn't have all the insides put together. It doesn't have uh, maybe the floor put down, the granite floors and the and, uh, you know, the things like that. But uh, let's look, and actually let's compare uh, Scripture with Scripture here. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23 with me. And we're going to look at this without form and void. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23. Now, if you look at the context of this, this is, um, has to do with the tribulation. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 23 says I beheld the earth and lo it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light so there's without our form and void there alright let's keep going I beheld the mountains and lo they trembled and all the hills moved lightly I beheld and lo there was no man and all the birds of the heavens were fled I beheld and lo the fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger I mean, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is the second advent here. For this hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. The whole city shall flee for the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen, and shall go into thickets and climb up upon the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken, and not a man dwell therein. So we see here that uh, without form and void, is negative. It's a negative connotation. Um, when we compare spirit with spirit, when we compare uh, scripture with scripture, we see that without form and void doesn't mean that it wasn't uh, ready yet for habitation or it wasn't completed yet. Uh, so far, we see that it, it has a negative connotation. Now, turn with me to Psalm chapter 89, verse 39. We'll keep going. Psalm 89, verse 39 says, Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. So, again, void. He has made void the covenant of thy servant. He's cast it to the ground. Negative. Again, Nahum chapter 2, verse 10. Nahum chapter 2, verse 10. She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all, all gather blackness. Now, again, we see these cross-references here show that without form and void does not mean unformed and not yet ready for habitation or a blank slate. 
they mean that something uh, bad that's got a negative connotation. Now, let's keep going. So we see here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that without form and void in the Bible, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, is never good. Now, go with me again, and it says, In the earth was without form and void, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, every time, I'm not going to take the time to go over all the verses on darkness, but if you take a concordance and look up all the words and all the scriptures on darkness, it's never good. It's never in good light. Um, but then others would say, well, what about the darkness that's associated with God? There's a darkness that's associated with God, and that's true. But let's see if it's actually good. Turn with me to Gen uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11. The first thing you have to see, stay here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11, but I'm going to read you this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we know that God is all light. There's no darkness. Now let's look here in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11. And ye came near... And stood under the mountain. So here's God talking to, uh, to talking to Moses and the Jews. And the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no, saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. So when they were um, at Mount Sinai, and God was giving them the, the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments, um, here God said that he was in the mountain. And remember, if, if you can remember, the whole mountain was on fire, and and uh, there was a whole bunch of smoke. And the reason why is because they couldn't, they couldn't see God. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 12. The Bible says, Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. Psalm chapter 18, verse 8. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth. Devoured coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. Now this is God. Darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark uh, waters and thick clouds of the skies. One more. Psalm 97 verse 2. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. So, again, clouds and darkness, uh, there is a darkness that's associated with God. But, again, there is no darkness in God. He is all light. Well, here, look at with me in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, and we'll see why this darkness is associated with God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20 says, This is the Lord's, uh, I'm sorry, this is the Lord speaking to Moses here, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So the whole reason why God has this thick darkness around him, associated with him, is to separate himself from uh, uh, the uh, sinful race down here. If we could see God, we would die instantly. The reason why is because we're not holy. He's holy. Um, and, um, you know, when you look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we won't turn there, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 10, we see there that when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from the face of God. God came down and says that uh, um, the voice of God was there. Uh, they could hear the voice of God, but God was walking down in the garden with them, looking for them to have fellowship with them. And what separated them was that sin, that they hid from God because they knew that they were sinners. And that's the same thing that God does. He hides his face so that we won't die. And so that darkness is not good. That darkness is around because of our sin. Because of our sin, we're separated from God, and that darkness is what separates us from being able to see God's face. So we've gone through two of the things, without form and void, 
and darkness, and those are always negative. But let's keep going. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, we've gone over a study on uh, the great deep, and uh, Brother Steve did a good job on that, and he went over the great deep. So I'm not going to go over uh, any of the verses on the great deep. You can go back after you listen to this and, and go through that, and you can get even more on this, uh, on this gap theory. But what happened here is that the great deep here is associated with the, with the earth now. But see, right now, right now in our day and age, that great deep is up located right where the throne of God is. So something happened. Something happened here, and we're going to look at it. And the Bible says here, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So this waters here, the great deep, was, was associated with, uh, with the earth. Now, something happened, some great catastrophe. And you said, well, how do you know that? Well, we just looked at those verses there that show that it's a negative connotation. But let's keep going. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Now, a lot of people say that this verse is associated with uh, Noah's flood, but I'm going to prove to you why this cannot be associated with Noah's flood. 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 1, the Bible says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved in the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of God, ungodly men. So something happened here. The Bible says that the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Now, is this the world of Noah's day? of Noah's flood in Genesis chapter 6 and 7? Or is this uh, actually maybe something that took place earlier than that? Well, let's look. Now, the Bible says right here in verse 5, 2 Peter 3, verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. That's the first thing you need to notice, is that this earth here was standing in the water and out of the water. Now, in Noah's flood, the, um, the waters came above the mountains, but the whole earth was not in the, uh, part of the earth was not in the waters. And the way you, get, you can uh, kind of picture this is if the, uh, say, a volleyball was put into a big body of water, like a big lake, and you just threw it in there, part of that would be in the water. Part of that volleyball would be in the water, representing the earth, and part of it would be out of the water. That's exactly what happened. In Noah's day, that didn't happen. But even before that, if you look in uh, verse 4, Bible says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So the context of this whole, um, uh, of the world being overflowed with water is the beginning of the creation. That's Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. It can't be Noah's flood because Noah's flood took place 1700 years after uh, in the beginning, the be very beginning of the creation. Now, if you also look um, at uh, verse 5, again, the Bible says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. So in Noah's flood, nothing happened to the heavens. Nothing happened to the second or third heaven. Uh, nothing was destroyed. 
um, in Noah's flood. Just the rain came down and it and it uh, covered the faces of the um, the the whole earth, but they didn't affect the planets or the stars. But this catastrophe, this flood, actually affected the heavens. It affected the uh, planets and stars. Um, and if you want to look in Noah's flood, it's Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 24, talking about just the water going up above the mountains, and that's it. Now, this is really important, and I'm going to take just a few minutes here on some of these verses. But in Second Peter chapter 3 here, it never mentions Noah's flood, never once. Now, this is really important, and the reason why this is important is because every time Noah's flood is mentioned uh, in this Bible, it's, Noah's always mentioned with it. Now, you can look at Genesis chapter 6 uh, through chapters 11 and see that, but also look with me in Matthew chapter 24. Every time Noah's flood is referenced to, um, Noah's always mentioned, or Noah's flood is mentioned. Matthew chapter 24, verse 38. The Bible says, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Alright, so it's talking about a flood, and it's talking about Noah. That can be no mistake about that. That's Noah's flood. Look with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 27. And Luke chapter 17, verse 27 says, They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. All right, let's keep going. Uh, I mean, even Peter mentions Noah with Noah's flood in 2 Peter chapter 2, just a little bit, just a chapter before 2 Peter chapter 3, um, so you can make no mistake of it. 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 5. And spared not, actually, let's go back to verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly men. So every time Noah's flood is mentioned, Noah's always mentioned with it. But here in Second Peter chapter 3, Noah's never mentioned. Now, um... So you say, well, why was there a big flood between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying that's here. Something happened in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, in between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. There had to be something that took place, that a catastrophe came down and came down to this earth. Because Second Peter chapter 3 doesn't fit in anywhere else in the Bible except here in the beginning of the creation, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. So why would there be a flood? Why would there be a catastrophe that took place here? Well, let's look here. We know, first of all, that, uh, that Satan had to fall before Adam and Eve were tempted. I mean, that's just common sense. When uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, Eve was tempted by uh, Satan, right, the serpent. And uh, secondly, we know that Satan had a throne. If you look at Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, we can go there real quick. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 the Bible says, For thou hast said in thine heart, talking about Satan, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So before his fall, he had a throne. We know that about Satan. Now also we see that uh, he is cast down. When he is cast down, there's nations present on the earth. All right, Because it says right here in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? So when he was on this earth, he actually had nations around him that he was reigning with on his throne with. Now, um, 
when he rebelled, he rebelled from one key location. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 14 again, verse 13, it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. There was one key location that, that Satan was starting out from to start his rebellion to God. And it says here that he had to ascend above the heights of the clouds, he had to go above the stars of God, and he had to go to the sides of the north. That's where God is. So that one key location can only be only one place, and that's on the earth. So we know, first of all, that Satan was on the earth with a throne, and there was nations down here on this earth before he sinned, before he went and rebelled against God. And uh, again, we know that it happened before Adam and Eve, because the Bible says here um, in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3 that Satan came and tempted them. Now, if he had a throne down here, who was he reigning over? I mean, that's the, that's the major question. Uh, you say, was it human beings? It was not human beings. And the reason why you know that is in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, verse 45 says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. So the first man that was ever on this earth is Adam. So now if it can't be, um, if it can't be men, or can't be men, uh, let's go to uh, Job chapter 38, and we'll see the answer to this. We'll see the answer of the only people that it could have been, or the only beings, I should say, that it could have been here on this earth that he was reigning over. Job chapter 38, verse 4. And if any of you are getting confused, I'm going to go kind of over everything that I've just gone over, just kind of briefly, and just um, and uh, kind of let you know where we're at. But Job chapter 38, verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. This is God talking to Job. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? So God's talking to Job, and he's saying, where were you when I created the, the, uh, the earth? So talking about the beginning of the creation. Verse 6. Whereupon on the, are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, if you study your Bible out at all, you know those morning stars and those sons of God are angels. They're angels. If you look those up in the Bible, um, and I've got those verses here, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, and uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, those morning stars are angels. So we have here angels right when the earth is being created. So angels were created before the earth was created. All right, so when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So when God was creating the earth and placing the foundations there, the angels were present. So my theory is, or my guess, whatever you want to call it, um, using Scripture, as I truly believe, since it can't be man, I believe that uh, Satan was down here reigning on a throne on this earth before he rebelled, uh, with the angels. But what he did was he rebelled. So here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And I believe that Satan was put down here on the earth with a throne, reigning over those uh, angels. But then he rebelled. He said, I'm going to ascend above the heights of the clouds, go above the stars, and I'm going to go to uh, exalt my throne above God's throne. And then what God had to do was send that flood, 2 Peter chapter 3, the great deep, that huge body of water that's up in, uh, up in the third heaven there. 
right down and engulf all of the stars, all of the planets, and engulf the the um, the whole Earth, and just totally destroy everything. And uh, and I truly believe that's what happened because that's the only place that it fits. Now we see that that's got to be Satan's fall. Now something that's pretty, uh, I thought that was pretty amazing to see here is that the angel is associated with two floods. Now we saw here that Genesis chapter one verse two, there was Second uh, Peter chapter three that big flood that came down because of the angels and Satan. But we also see the Noah's flood that the sons of God were cohabitating with the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6, and there was Noah's flood. I, I don't think it's just coincidence that, that those angels are associated with, uh, with uh, a couple different floods there. Now, turn with me back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, in verse 28. We're wrapping it up here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Actually, go to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So God here gives the great commission to uh, Adam and Eve. And their commission was to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's really important, the replenishing of the earth there. Um, turn with me again. We're going to compare uh, scripture with scripture. Genesis chapter nine, verse one, and the Bible says, "And God blessed Noah." Now, this is after the flood happened um, in Noah's day, and God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, "Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth." So he got the same exact commission that Adam and Eve got. But what happened with Noah's day there is that the flood came. And right after the flood took place, and uh, that boat got on dry ground, and they stepped off, God said, okay, now replenish the earth. Now go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 there, says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was a flood there as well in the beginning. And here, it says right here in uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 and God blessed them and God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth so both had the same com uh, commission to both replenish the earth of a race that was once here before uh, Adam and Eve got the commission uh, by God to replenish the earth to uh, multiply on the earth because there was angels there before um, but now to reply replenish the earth there with men same thing with Noah um, to replenish the earth in Genesis chapter 9, that God destroyed all the men that were upon the face of the waters, or upon the face of the earth, and only Noah and uh, his seven family members were saved, and they were told to replenish it, to replenish the earth of people. Now, there's a lot of people that say, well, um, you know, in 1611, when the King James Bible was being translated, the word replenish back then in the, in the Webster's Dictionary meant just to uh, fill just to fill. It didn't mean to refill. But the King James translators and God knew exactly when to use uh, the words replenish and fill. If you go back up and uh, go back to uh, verse 22, this is just a few verses before verse 28. Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 22, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. They knew exactly when to use fill and to replenish. 
So that's what we got here. We've got here that a catastrophe happened, the result of Satan's fall. And, uh, and that's what I want to go over lastly here is where are you going to put Satan's fall? Now, if, if you don't believe in the gap theory, I, I hope you've stood with me this long and, uh, and listened to all this. And uh, the reason why um, is because I, I truly believe it's important, um, this, uh, this subject here, because where are you going to put Satan's fall? All right. Now, one thing I failed to mention here is um, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, I hope that you have a King James Bible, because uh, every Bible on the market likes to change that. Every Bible on the market likes to change that and, uh, and not have that there and, and uh, take the cross-references out of there so you can't, um, uh, you can't see that they were supposed to replenish. Uh, so it kind of, well, I believe what the devil does is he hides that he, he, um, he fell there. And, uh, and that God had to destroy the earth because of what he did. But uh, where are you going to put Satan's fall? That's the question. Again, we know that Satan fell, had to fall, before um, Adam and Eve, uh, because the Bible says here that uh, Satan was around when Adam and Eve were in the garden. So uh, here, if you go to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we know that that's Adam, that death has uh, come into the world. And we know that it's because of Adam that this sin has come into the world. Now, the problem with making Satan fall on this earth while Adam is present, then he would have uh, been the one to bring that sin into the world. Because in Ezekiel chapter 28, and uh, verses 13 through 14, and verse 18, uh, actually, if you look in just verse 18, it tells us that Satan defiled his sanctuaries with the multitude of his iniquities. So now, if Satan's fall uh, happened during Adam and Eve being on the earth, then Satan would have defiled the whole area of, of the garden. You can't put that uh, with him being in the garden during Adam and Eve. Now, the whole reason why God had to destroy the heavens and the earth in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, with that huge body of water, the great deep, is to cleanse it from Satan's iniquities and give man a chance on the earth without corruption or sin. Now, the other problem with putting Lucifer's fall at the time of Adam and Eve is that Adam and the devil were both uh, uh, given uh, rights over the whole earth. They were given rights over the whole earth. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, it shows us that uh, the devil was anointed by God to rule, just like you know those, those uh, kings in Israel were anointed to rule. In Isaiah chapter 14, again, we see that the throne, he had a throne on this earth, and he was reigning over someone again. It's got to be the angels. Now, if Satan ruled on this earth and over uh, uh, at Adam's time, then God had to have lied to Adam because God said that he would give, give Adam dominion over all the earth. And that's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, if Satan was here, if Lucifer was here and uh, before he fell and Adam was given dominion over all the earth, then God would have lied because he wouldn't have given Adam uh, dominion over all the earth if, if Lucifer was still down here. Now, that's the problem that you have. That's the problem that you run into is when did Satan fall? If you don't believe in the gap, that there was a little bit of a gap here, then you run into the problem of, uh, of where did Satan fall. A lot of people believe that it was when, uh, when uh, Adam and Eve were walking in the garden and things like that, but it can't be. Now, I want you to know, I don't, uh, go to this belief because 
Um, I'm trying to prove all the geological eras. I'm not trying to prove that the earth is billions and billions of years old. No, listen, I, I believe the young earth creationists. I believe that this earth, uh, this, uh, the surface of this earth, is uh, probably somewhere a little over 6,000 years old. I don't believe it's billions and billions of years old. Um, I believe the surface of this, again, everything that we see presently was made in six literal days. I mean, here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God created the earth perfectly. Then in verse 2, he had to destroy the earth because, the, uh, because of the devil and the angels. But then in verse 3, he starts the six literal day recreation. All right, so I do believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days after that whole catastrophe took place. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not just going at this because I'm trying to prove the scientists and all that kind of stuff that they're right. Not at all. I believe that there's a lot of errors um, that has been proven, that there is a lot of errors in what they believe um, and uh, just the theories that they're coming up with. I believe this because this is what the Bible says. But the most important thing is, is, um, is that you know the angels are in chains uh, under the earth. They're in chains right now. Um, and uh, waiting to be judged by God. The amazing thing is, is that we, even though we're sinners and we really have corrupted this earth because of our sin, God's given us uh, a second chance. The Bible says he's long-suffering. Praise God he's long-suffering, and he's given us a way to be saved. I mean, if you're uh, listening tonight and you're saved, uh, this is, uh, I think, one of the greatest studies because it shows the long-suffering of God to us. You know, the Bible says that the angels don't even understand our salvation because God didn't die for them. I mean, the angels, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, which, which things, talking about salvation, the angels desire to look into. I mean, praise God that Jesus Christ came down and died for us uh, because we're sinners. I mean, even though the angels sinned and Satan sinned, uh, Jesus Christ didn't die for them. He died for us to give us a chance to be in heaven. So praise the Lord. I, I thank you for your guys' time, and uh, God bless, guys. Well, thanks, Matt. So a lot of lot of ground covered there, and on the uh, on the gap theory. And uh, Steve, are you with us? I'm here. What do you think? I think it was great. Um, you know, I, I was marking things down as Matt was going along, and each time uh, he kept going, he, he kept taking everything I was going to say. So I don't know that I have much to add because um, he did it. He did a good job. Uh, you know. <laughs> One of the things that he did finish up with was the fact that, you know, they they're so afraid, and I those that believe um, there is no gap, uh, they're so afraid that you know they're going to fall into the traps of those that believe that the Earth is billions and billions and billions of years old, and they go to any length. You know, there's at least one fellow, if not more, that say that they're King James Bible believers until they get to this particular verse and this particular word, which is called replenish. And all of a sudden, then they have to go to the Hebrew to try to prove their uh, prove that the, it doesn't mean what we know it to mean. Yeah. Um, I've always looked at it this way. You have to look at that in reverse, which is kind of what, what uh, Mar um, <laughs> Matt did, in that uh, you go to Genesis 9, and it shows that, that they replenished the earth. Well, if there wasn't anything, you know, if, if fill is the term for that word, then why, you know, if you're, 
if you're filling something for the first time, why do you use a word that that means in our language to refill? And then you go back to Genesis 1 where it says that same word. Well, the second time that's used in Genesis 9 defines the first time and shows you that there was something there before Genesis uh, uh, 120, was it 27, 28, something along that line. So I, I know I'm probably making it more confusing than what it is, but really if you just do it in reverse, it helps you understand it. Plus, uh, the verse that he used there in Genesis 1, talking about the, the, the thing there where it talks about fill, uh, in verse 22, he filled the waters and the seas. Again, God knows what he's doing, and, and uh, there's always, uh, as, as Dr. Ruckman used to say, God will always give a man enough rope to hang himself. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, they're, they're pressing so hard to try to prove something. And God sticks something in there so plain and so simple uh, that they trip right over it and they don't even see it. If God wanted to use the word fill, he would have used the word fill. If you, you, if you believe the King James Bible is the word of God and that God preserved his word as, as it is in our King James Bible, then replenish means replenish and fill means fill. He, he doesn't. He doesn't change those things around. So uh, it's a good job. I, I really enjoyed the study. I was writing some things down there myself, so I can use. Amen. So uh, praise the Lord. Good stuff. Amen. Uh, I've been <clears throat> just trying to search the uh, the net for some things that you know the, to give some contrary points of view, and I can't find <laughs> I can't find any things that you haven't already addressed. Well, you know, there there are a couple others, and, and I'll just take maybe three or four minutes on them, but that I really had to, you know, if somebody's on the fence about it or somebody, like I said before, I mean, I, I truly believe the other way around. I truly believe that, that uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 was was just uh, the basics of it, and then uh, God, the whole thing was just involved in the sixth literal day creation, and, uh, and uh, you know, I thought God would be a liar if he put, like, maybe just a little bit of a period of time in there where the angels uh, and Satan ruled and things like that. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that I couldn't really get across uh, in my head and truly believe was that why would God put between uh, the two verses there, why would God put a period of time? You know, why would, without telling you, would God really do that? And, and that's something that I couldn't, you know, it seems like God would be more clear than that. But, uh, and that's kind of an argument that a lot of people have, but God does, does that a lot of times throughout the Bible. I mean, Absolutely. I could, give you, I could give you plenty of verses where in one verse alone, uh, God uses that same verse and skips 2,000 years. I mean, there's a bunch of verses in the Bible. Uh, first of all, Isaiah chapter 9, if you look there, let me turn there real quick. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Um, this is the whole reason why the, uh, the apostles and the disciples fled when, when Jesus Christ was on that cross is because they couldn't uh, understand the scriptures that he would have a first coming as a suffering savior and then his second coming would be uh, to rule and reign as the king. Um, and they couldn't understand that. There, that there was 2,000 years between those two spots. And this is why, because it was in the same exact verse. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, in verse 7 uh, actually, I'll go back to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, right there, okay? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, that's already happened, right? Jesus Christ was born. Uh, that son was given to us. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, that's not happened yet. The government hasn't been put on his shoulder yet. Sure. That government's coming uh, at the second advent when Jesus Christ comes back. Uh, so you've got 2,000 years just in that verse right there that, uh, that again, the apostles and disciples couldn't decipher because uh, God does that. God's, God tries to see what your heart and motive is, and if you're truly searching the Scriptures and search it out, you'll see that there's actually... So listen, there could easily... That was only... Uh, th- those 2,000 years right there between the first and second coming of Christ was uh, just separated by a colon. Now Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 is separated by a period in another verse. So you've actually got a little bit more here. So it could be easily, got to put a, easily put 2,000 years between those two verses because he does it throughout the scriptures. And uh, the, the other verse that I, that, uh, I could never really, uh, you know, like you were saying, Dad, you were trying to find verses that go against this. Mm-hmm. The argument that I get uh, about this a lot is Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And I stated that before. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So what a lot of people say is, well, if, uh, if by one man that sin entered into the world and then that's the result of the uh, result of the sin is the death, then how could be their death before Adam and Eve, right? I mean, how could that flood come about and, and the beings on this earth be killed and death could have come about? But the problem with this is the, they're, they're not looking close enough. The scripture says in Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Now that's important. It says sin entered into the world. Uh, and then keep going, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. So the first part here is the, the, that the sin entered into the world. Now we have to understand which world this is. Now a lot of people don't understand the distinctions between the different worlds. Uh, if you go back to Second Peter chapter 3, back to that, uh, the flood of, uh, of, of the beginning here. Let me turn there real quick. Second Peter, in chapter 3, um, verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now. So we see here that there was a world before, but now there's a heavens and the earth which are now. So the whole thing about, about saying that uh, centered into the world, yeah, centered into this world, but the world that then was before, our sin didn't enter that world because we weren't even there yet. So that's the first part of that. But then keep going. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And so death passed upon all men. Now again, we said that during that time, uh, it couldn't have been men on this earth. The reason why is because Adam is the first man. I gave you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So sin didn't pass upon all men. Uh, who rebelled? It was Satan and the angels. So this verse is talking only about Adam and Eve's fall, and it's not talking about the angels. So I, I hope that helps anybody out there if, if they're on the fence and they're having those questions about those verses. It seems the the things that I've just read that uh, people that um, have trouble with the gap theory seem to say it's because uh, those that believe in the gap theory are trying to harmonize the um, the the fossil, you know, the the fossil of the dinosaurs and all those things to to give that a, a long, you know, billions and billions of Right. Time span to to justify the the fossil, the fossils and evolution and all that. 
I think Matt already mentioned that you know he believes in a young Earth and and that those fossils and all that geological strata and all that kind of stuff happened with Noah's flood didn't happen with that original flood. So, um, you know, we, you know, I'm always flabbergasted when somebody accuses me because I believe in the gap of believing in an in an old Earth. I I don't. <laughs> I believe Noah's flood's the one that 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 did all of that that they're talking about and i have no problem with that i just don't i i guess i'm just kind of mystified as to why they have to uh dismiss uh you know the scriptures as i believe matt's well laid out uh to to try to you know disprove what i think is evident there Mm mm-hmm you know, I, I had another one, Matt, that you were, you know, you, you said there were several uh, uh, scriptures in there that showed a gap. If you went to Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 in one hand and get Luke chapter 4 in the other, this one is so telling. I mean, it, you couldn't miss this if you, if you was right in front of you. Um, in uh, Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings uh, uh, unto the meek and has sent me to bind up the broken heart and proclaim liberty to the captives and to open up of the prisons to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable gear of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn so forth and so on. Uh, it goes on, if you want to see the millennium, take a look at verse 3, to appoint uh, unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them the beauty for ashes, the oil for joy, for the mourning, uh, the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness, uh, that they may be called a tree of righteousness and planting uh, the planting of the Lord uh, that he might be glorified. Now go over to... Um, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Jesus Christ goes into the synagogue, and he picks up the thing there, and he reads the scripture. <clears throat> you can see in verse 17, and there, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book and found the place wherein it was written, the Spirit of the Lord hath appointed me, uh, uh, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, I'm sorry, uh, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me, <laughs> notice how he's putting that in there, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and to recover the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and uh, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He stops. Verse 20, And he closed the book, and he gave it unto the, uh, unto the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were uh, in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he, began, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. Amen. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and take a look at verse 2. Verse 1 it says a lot of that stuff. Verse 2, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops. And the day of vengeance. There's a comma there. And the day of vengeance of our God to confront all that mourn. The, the, the second advent is there, the day of vengeance and of our God to confront all, the mourn, uh, all that mourn. 
he left that out. <laughs> There's 2,000 years before that, from that comma, and when the Lord's here on the earth, uh, he stops right there and, and doesn't go into that day of vengeance. That day of vengeance is 2,000 years or somewhere close to that, some 2,000 years later. That hasn't happened yet. So there are gaps all over the place. And, you know, again, like you said, Matt, and you, you well stated, I just wanted to show another one, that uh, for the Lord to have a gap in Genesis uh, 1, verse 1, and verse 2, there's no problem with that at all. Amen. Amen. It's good. It's very good. Well, it's amazing what will happen if you believe the Bible. Amen. Amen. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a, 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 a master theologian to be able to handle these things. Just believe what you read and let God show you. Yeah, we're kind of losing there for a minute, Steve. Well, you had that music up pretty loud. <laughs> you're trying to drown me out here. You guys didn't want me to say that. No, you, your connection was bad. Uh, it was loud in my ears. I don't know about that. I couldn't hear anything. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking up for Steve. I, I couldn't hear him. Well, I'm listening to what the mix is of the final show. So, but your connection, your, your, your Skype connection was bad there. We lost. We couldn't hear what you said. Okay. Oh well. <laughs> What did you last hear me say? <laughs> I'm not sure. Not well, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, just a simple Bible study, you know, when Brother Steve, you and I, and, and we sat down at that coffee shop and looking through that, you know, it kind of hurts your ego when, you, mm. when you're proven wrong, you know, and, and uh, well, praise the Lord, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I think the cool thing about Pastor Strobel's study he did last about the Roman Catholic Church and how he was involved in it. You know, I, I don't want to bring this up that I'm, you know, compared to the Roman Catholic Church, but, but uh, you know, that he believed that for a while, but then saw the light, you know, and and, uh, and it kind of had more weight to it. And I hope for this for other people, they see that, you know, I just didn't always believe in the gap, you know, in the gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. I had to really search it out, and it took me three and a half years to figure that out, you know. Mm. So. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, good to get together again, and uh, we'll look forward to next time. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.